This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train, and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Today we're going back in our archive to February of 2015 for a theology training hangout. In this hangout it will be yours truly who will be doing the teaching about union with Christ. You can find this full hangout including the Q&A and all of the notes at www dot the broadcast network dot org slash episode 22 so without further delay here is the hangout it seems to me when we think about union with christ it can be something we take for granted quite a lot i suspect most of us would say we know that there's such a thing as union with christ and I suspect we, we come across it quite a lot when we read the Bible, when we teach in church, but it's rarely something that we put front and centre. It's often something that's kind of there in the background as we're talking about other things theologically and as we're engaging with the Bible. I think it's a little bit of a mistake if we don't give it emphasis. Uh, and I want to show you tonight how fundamental I've come to see this to be, both in terms of how we understand theology but also for how we live our lives as Christians. You see, the idea of union with Christ is a cornerstone of New Testament thought. We don't talk about it in our day nearly as much as the New Testament authors do. So Paul alone, in his letters, he made over 200 references to the idea of our union with Christ. There's 83 examples of the exact phrase, in Christ, that occur in Paul's letters. Um, John Murray said it this way, there's nothing more central or basic than union and communion with Christ. Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation, not only in its application, also in its once-for-all accomplishment in the finished work of Christ. So I want you to see how important this idea is. In order to do so, I'm going to do a few things. Firstly, we're just going to spend some time looking at what it actually means. What is it that we have union with Christ? After we've done that, I want to show you how it impacts some of our other important theological um, ideas and then talk about some applications of it as well. So what is union with Christ? Firstly, union with Christ is about representative Headship. Okay, by representative headship, we're talking about how, how in Romans it says we were in Adam, and then we were in Christ. So Romans five nineteen is talking about Adam, and it says by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. So because Adam stuffed it up in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just Adam that um, became a sinner. It was actually all of us. Because he was representing us. It's one way of thinking of it is like in uh, in the football. If you like, watch a football game in the World Cup, someone steps up to take a penalty in the penalty shootout. Okay? If they miss, it's not just them that's lost the game. It's the whole team. They're representing the team. Okay? Well, we used to be represented by Adam. We were in Adam. And so what Adam did 
affected us. There's, a, there's an interesting little bit in Hebrews that helps to explain this. It's talking about Levi, and it's talking about Abraham. So Levi was the guy who all the priests were descended from, and he himself was a descendant of Abraham. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to argue how Melchizedek was this kind of priest, even greater than the Levitical priests. And it says in Hebrews 7, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. But he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So even though it was Abraham that did it, there's this idea, because Levi was in him, that he's represented by him. So we were represented by Adam. We took his sin, we took his uh, judgment, we took his sinful nature, the whole thing. Hey guys, I think we've got you on. Great. So we were in Adam. He was our head. But then, when we get born again, we become in Christ instead. So Romans 5.17 says, If, because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's an analogy drawn. We were in Adam. We used to be represented by him, but not anymore. We're now represented by Jesus. His death was like our death. His new life is our, is our new life. His standing before the Father is our standing before the Father. What's true of Jesus becomes true of us because we're in him. So it's applied in many areas, but particularly to being united to Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. So Romans 6 carries on the thought. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we were baptised into his death. He died, we die. We were raised to newness of life with him. Mike Reeves puts it like this. So Christ died in our place and suffered where we did not. But he was the last Adam, the head of the new humanity. Therefore, just as all who are born in Adam share Adam's fate, so all who are reborn in Christ share his. All who are members of Christ's body experience what happened to that body. We died with him. Our old identity was slaughtered, speared, and buried with Christ. Then this last bit's really good. He says, his death, not our sin, is our past. So that's the first part of what it means that we have union with Christ. He is our representative head. The second thing that I think we could say is there's a personal identification. Okay? This is kind of the same idea, but in reverse. We were just talking before about what happens to Jesus counts for us. We can take it personally. But also Jesus takes personally what happens to us. So, for example, in, in Acts, when Jesus stops Paul uh, on the road to Damascus, he was persecuting Christians. But what Jesus said to him was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus took it personally. He was identifying himself with the church. People who are in Christ, 
He actually has that feeling. When you hurt one of his, you're hurting him. Jesus identifies with us. He said in Matthew 10, whoever receives you, receives me. Okay? He takes it personally. There's a personal identification of Jesus with us because we're in him. Thirdly, we say being in Christ, it's not just a standard. It's not just the kind of intellectual, yes, we are in him. Yes, this counts for us. There's a life-giving element to it. There's a connection between us and Jesus. So in John 15, he uses the metaphor of the vine. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In Christ, we bear fruit. That's how uh, our good words, that's how our good character comes to be. Fourth thing we'd say about our union with Christ is it's a reproducible identity. Okay, so, so we said what's true of Christ in terms of um, his death and his new life will also be true of us. But actually, the whole identity of Christ will uh, come to fruition in us as well. So in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So this word that's used is first fruits. Okay? Now you think when God created, he created fruit, and in that fruit he created seeds. Okay? So there was the first fruit that came to life, but within that first fruit there were seeds that could grow up in the likeness of the fruit they were in. Christ is the first fruits of the new creation, but we are in him, and we will start to grow into the same likeness. So in Corinthians, it's applied to resurrection. He was the first fruits of resurrection, and we will experience resurrection too. You can apply the same imagery to other areas. So, for example, think about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Now, every one of those characteristics is perfectly true of Jesus. You know, gentleness, goodness, love, joy, and so on. Yeah, because we're in Christ, we will increasingly grow into to those characteristics. They will describe us more more accurately. And then the fifth and final thing I want to say about what it actually is for us to be in Christ is that it's an experiential relationship. Okay? It's actually about knowing it. There, there is a, a relational element to it. Paul says in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Christ is in him, and he knows Christ. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he prays the same thing for us and for all Christians in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants us to know him too. He wants us to have the same experiential relationship because we're in Christ. So he talks about five things there that are what it is to be in Christ. He, he represents us as our head. He identifies with us personally. He connects with us and gives us life as branches of the vine. There's an identity that will be reproduced in us. He's the first fruit we're the seed. And there's an experiential relationship for us to live in and to enjoy. It's a glorious thing. I wonder if you thought why union with Christ is such a central thing. And uh, Donald Thurber put it this way. He said, the central reality of the Christian life is that believers are united to Christ. And the reason this is so central is because it links us to the central relationship that there is, Christ's relationship to his Father. I want you to understand that when we put this together, we haven't randomly kind of put topics one after the other. There's a reason that union with Christ comes right after the Trinity. Last month we were talking about the relationships that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have with one another. Now, the glorious truth is that in Christ, we've been given a relationship with God the Son, and through him with the Father and with the Spirit, the same kind of indwelling relationships that are true of the Trinity, we get drawn into now, because we have union with Christ. And then these same relationships we work outwards with one another in, in marriage and also in the church. That's why we're going there next month. A couple of verses actually uh, made clear the parallel between the relationship between the Father and the Son and the relationship between Jesus and his church. So, for example, John 17, verses 22 and 23. Jesus is praying and he says to his Father, The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Okay, same kind of relationship, they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and love them, even as you It's kind of like the relationships are cascading down. The relationships are there in the Trinity, but now they've been outworked into us through our union with Christ and then our relationships with one another. Also, you've got 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 3, it says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, the wife and husband thing, that's part of a different session for a different day. But today, actually, to see the link, the head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. It's drawing the link. Our relationship with Christ, our union with them, and Christ's union with his Father. According to Marcus Peter Johnson, to say that our union with Christ is Trinitarian means that by virtue of being incorporated into the life of Jesus Christ, we participate in the life, love, and fellowship of the Trinity. 
Because the Son is one with the Father, our being joined to the Son means we are joined to the Father. And because the Spirit exists as the bond of communion between the Father and the Son, he brings us into that community by uniting us to Christ. This staggering biblical revelation forms the personal foundation for all the benefits that constitute our salvation. This is big stuff that we're talking about. When we read the Bible, we see these phrases like in Christ. It's really important we don't gloss over them and skip by them. There's such depth in these words. Actually, a union with Christ is what makes all of our theology work. Without us being united to Christ, it'd be hard to understand anything of what God's done. I just want to run through a few areas where union with Christ is key. I'll start with creation, actually. Uh, Colossians 1, 16, talks about, uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So it's like creation came through Christ, for Christ, by Christ. Everything started with Christ. Okay, And we're drawn into that. So we'll kind of take the journey through all these things and see how they link together. Even today, um, providence, the way God upholds the world, it says, um, the next verse, Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we're not just talking about us being in Christ, actually all of creation in Christ holds together. And we'll come back to it in a minute, but that's where it's all heading as well. God's bringing everything back together, united in Christ. It was all in Christ in the beginning, we'll all be in Christ in the end, and we're brought into Christ. In order to understand the church, we need to understand union with Christ. The church isn't just a, a community that's gathered. The church isn't just a group of people with a common interest. The church is everyone who's united to Christ. We're all connected to each other because we're connected to him. The same as the branches are all part of one vine because they're connected to, to the vine itself. Well, we're all connected, united to Christ, and so we're united to each other. Ephesians 2, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then in the next Chapter chapter 3 is as through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, we've probably heard that verse quite a lot. Then he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised in Christ Jesus. It's by bringing together the peoples in Christ Jesus as one new man that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and the authorities. Also, we need to understand union with Christ in order to really get the justice of God. We talk about God as being a just God, but really what we often say when we talk about what God's done is he's taken those that are guilty and let them off. How would that be a description of a just judge? In Proverbs it says, partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples and abhorred by nations. Now, if we don't understand union with Christ, 
Actually, God would fall into that category. We'd be saying God's just kind of letting people off who deserve judgment. Well, as Romans takes up this issue, Romans chapter 3, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Right? It's arguing that for God to forgive sins but also be just, so that last verse, he might be just and the justifier, somehow he's got to hold those two things together. And it happens in Jesus. Because we are in Christ, and Christ died, then we died in him. For God has rightly dealt with that sin, because we are in him, on the cross, the judgment was taken. So we rightly can be declared righteous in Christ. Okay? It works because we are in Christ. To understand our salvation, we need to realise that it all makes sense in Christ. So if you read through Ephesians 1, as Paul's describing all that God's done for us, see how many times he uses that phrase, in Christ. Think about our adoption. We're brought into God's family. Why? Because we're in the one who is the Son of God. For he's the Son, we share in his sonship. We're forgiven. We're, we're called righteous by God. Our sins are washed away. Why? Because we're brought into Christ, the sinless one. We share his righteousness. We're sealed by the Spirit in Christ. Why? Because he is the one uh, on whom the Spirit fell. The Spirit fell on Jesus at the beginning of the Gospels, before the Spirit fell on the church, we're drawn into him, and so he pours the spirit on us. We're sanctified in Christ. We persevere in Christ. Christ will stay the course to the end. If we're in Christ, we persevere in him. We're, we're raised from the dead in Christ. So there's the new life we experience now, and there's the resurrection we'll experience on the last day. It all works in Christ. And then we'll be glorified in Christ too. We'd also say that Jesus' priesthood makes sense when we talk about union with Christ. So Jesus as a priest came to represent us. But to do it, he needs to draw alongside us. He needs to truly be able to represent us. So Hebrews 2 says, Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And he goes on to say, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It's something about the incarnation of Jesus, how he came and took on humanity so he could represent us. But part of what it is, it's not just that he became kind of like us, but he actually became 
united to us. He can represent us before God because we are in him. He carries us in him right before the Father. And the last thing that I just want to make the link to is our eschatology. So our understanding of what will be in the future. So think about creation and providence, how all things were made in Christ and all things hold together in Christ. When Ephesians 1 says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, so this is God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. So God's plan, what God's doing, is uniting all things in Christ. And then we think of our coming resurrection. And the fact that we're in Christ and we get to share in resurrection too, it changes our understanding of what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. You see, if we weren't in Christ, if we didn't get to share in it, then the resurrection of Jesus would, it would still be good news. It would be the vindication of a good man's life. It would be God overturning the verdict on him. But because we're in Christ, it's so much more than that. It's the moment when the whole course of history changed, when death had been encroaching, but now resurrection breaks forth and many get to share in that. So as I'm coming near the end, I just want to um, draw some points for our Christian lives, because our union with Christ is not only crucial for our head. It's not only crucial for what goes on as we think about theology, it's crucial for how we live. So we say that because we're united with Christ, firstly we'd say our Christian lives are experiential by nature. Okay, To talk about an abstract Christianity, something that's just made of ideas, doesn't make sense. At the heart of it is a relationship, similar to the relationships between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The whole point is knowing Jesus. It's not an abstract thing. It's a relational, experiential. The second uh, reason I'd say it's crucial uh, is because it, it changes the way okay, we think about transformation. Right? Instead of thinking about well, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to battle, I'm going to try and fight to change my life, although there is something of that. It's a totally new thing. We are in the vine, we're branches in Jesus. Bearing fruit is now normal. In Adam, sin was normal. In Adam, giving in and failing to overcome our desires was how things were. But now we're in Christ. Christ is holy and Christ is righteous. And actually, the normal thing is to bear fruit in Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But when we're in him, we bear much fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will come to pass in our lives. The third one I'd say that's application for us is it shifts our identity. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. We're not who we used to be. And then Romans 6 expands on it. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Talk about it a bit in the notes, so I won't dwell on it too much here. But it links into this idea of, is it right that we call ourselves sinners? Or is it right that we call ourselves saints? A lot of Christians want to cling on to this idea of sinner 
as a badge of identity. But we're in a creation that doesn't identify us anymore. It doesn't mean we don't struggle, but that's not the identity that we wear. We're saints. We're holy ones of God. And the fourth reason this is crucial for our lives is that it's positively affirming. Okay, let me explain what I mean. We are in Christ, so we are righteous. We're in Christ, so we're beloved. We're in Christ, so we are victorious. We get all the things that are true of him. We're sons and daughters of God. We're heirs of eternity. All these things are true. And I was thinking about how much we hear from kind of the self-help movement about positive thinking. Christians ought to have a monopoly on positive thinking. There's so much positive that's true of us, of you, of me, of each one of us, because we're in Christ. We should have way more to say than those who are outside of Christ. It's positive and life-giving. Well, I hope you found that helpful. If you'd like to access all of the notes on what I was saying, or if you would like to hear the Q&A that happened after the Hangout, you can visit www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 22.